Well, good evening, friends. My name is Mark Kolkman, and I have the privilege of serving Christ and his kingdom as the chief ministry officer here at Christ Church. And I'd just like to, again, offer my welcome to those of you who are coming tonight so that you can avoid the crowd tomorrow. Let me see your hands. All right, that's a good idea. Uh, for those of you who haven't been back with us uh, maybe for a couple of weeks, or those of you who are joining us for the first time, tonight is the second of a three-part series on the mention, the message, and the ministry of angels. Um, I hope to, uh, in our time together, lead us another step towards understanding these angelic beings and to talk a little bit about what the message of angels is to us, but most importantly, what I believe God's Word tells us about the message to angels uh, through the Scriptures. By the time we're finished, I hope that uh, we'll have a clearer picture of these heavenly beings that kind of shifts from the pop culture uh, definition of angels that Tracy uh, led us through last week to kind of set the stage for our, our second part. But before I begin tonight to try to get what's inside my head here into your hearts there, I think we should probably bow our heads and just ask the Lord to come into this space and join us uh, throughout the rest of the evening. Our Heavenly Father, on the heels of the lessons of the Lenten season, May your Holy Spirit be near to us tonight as, we, as it was and just as close to us as when we rallied on Resurrection Sunday just a few weeks ago. Pardon us, Lord, for our mindfulness and forgetfulness at times about the message of your angels, which is clearly outlined in your holy word. May our minds be open tonight and our hearts soften to the message of your angels. So speak through me now, Lord. And may the words of my mouth and the focus of our thoughts, the meditations of our hearts, be pleasing to you. In thy name I pray, amen. For many of us, myself included, angels are supporting actors in the ongoing saga and the ongoing drama that unfolds in the, throughout the Bible. They are seldom studied or discussed in depth and thus create this supporting role all throughout scriptures. Uh, that is until now, I hope, and tonight. Um, in his recent book, The Hum of Angels, a local, theological, a local theologian and respected seminary professor, Scott McKnight, uh, makes a strong assertion and says this about angels. If we believe in God and in Jesus and those parts of the Bible, we need to take seriously and believe and unpack and study the mention, the message, and the ministry of angels. His position parallels a more uh, strong declaration of a 20th century theologian, Karl Barth, who unequivocally said this, take the God and the angels or drop them both, but without God, angels are impossible. Barth goes on to say, we can miss them or we can dismiss them or we can deny them altogether but if we cannot or will not accept angels, how can we accept what is told to us through the history of scriptures or through the history of church or even the history of our own lives? So I think it's true, all of that is to say, that since the earliest parts of the scriptures, the Bible clearly documents the travails and the stories of angels throughout the Old Testament, the books of the gospel, 
And through the emergence of the early church, we see the story of angels alongside of big ideas throughout the Bible as it unfolds. All the way up through the, all the way to the far right side of our Bible in the final chapter of Revelation, the reality of angels is clearly established throughout scriptures. So my goal for us today, and maybe it's just the artist in me, is to try to paint a new picture with the pigment that God gives us through his word on the canvas that is all of our minds and more importantly, our hearts. So I'd like to take a look, if you will, if you just join me for the next few moments to take a look at how angels communicate God's message as they express four big ideas throughout the scriptures. I wanna look at how angels express God's message of love, how they teach the Bible's big ideas, how they bring a message of comfort when we need it the most, and most importantly, I think, is how they serve as God's very presence with us during our lives. I believe in the final images that we can paint together, we will have a, a picture and an image to hang on the gallery of our hearts that will be more exciting, more inspiring, and more humbling than those pop culture lawn ornament type angels, I think, that sometimes we think about. The text of our study tonight, it comes from the first chapter of the book of Hebrews and starts with verse 1. So if you will, join me as I read from the Christian Standard Version. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father, or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. Again, when he brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all the God's angels worship him. And about the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his servants a fiery flame. But to the son, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. This is why God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy beyond your companions. In the beginning, Lord, you established the earth and the heavens, and the heavens are your works of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like clothing, and you will roll them up like a cloak, and they will be changed like clothing. But you are the same, and your years will never end. Now to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand, and I will make your enemies your footstools? And verse 14 is the highlight verse of our passage today. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In those last simple words, I think the author of Hebrews may have asked a rhetorical question, but perhaps it's one that's worth looking into. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation? 
This is the key highlight of that first few verses in the book of Hebrews. Indeed, we need to take stock of everything we might have learned before about angels in their pop culture, the message that they bring to us. And I think it's fair to say that it's a pretty strong image in our minds, whether it's a scriptural context, whether it's one from previous sermons, maybe previous Sunday school classes, but we all kind of understand a little bit about angels and what they're actually doing. But is it really, really, really aligned to Scripture? Robert McAfee Brown, in his book, The Bible Speaks to You, makes a rather startling suggestion. He proposed that from time to time, be it hereby enacted that every three years, all people shall forget whatever they learned about Jesus and begin the study all over again. Let me read that again. Let it hereby be enacted that every three years all people should forget everything they have learned about Jesus and begin the study all over again. Why would anyone make this kind of a claim? Well, I think I've unpacked a few things, so let's talk about that for just a second. For one thing, much of the Bible study that we do tends to be one-sided. We choose to pay attention to those things that make the most sense to us or confound us the least and kind of ignore some of those other things that might make us feel most uncomfortable or the things that confound us the most. I have to admit, angels were one of those things for me. As we began to explore a little bit last week, the second reason that we all might benefit from ignoring what we've learned in the past or forgetting about it is because our vision of angels, religion, and sometimes scriptures themselves is inevitably distorted by society and our pop culture. It's not hard to find jewelry and art, lawn ornaments, cemetery decorations, all that kind of have the image of angels, this physical image of angels. But I think it's more important, of course, with so many depictions of angels in the world today, that we somehow have this idea that angels are all around us and they're with us at all times. This is so prevalent that even non-believers and unchurched people feel like they might have a guardian angel that's right here on their shoulder, that's following them along. But again, if we go back to verse 14 and think about this and unpack this just a little bit more, I'll read it again. Are they not, are they, angels, not all ministering spirits sent to serve those who are going to inherit salvation? So there's a key thing about the role of angels in our lives, that we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and that we have a likelihood that we are going to inherit salvation. It's for those of us in that group and category that angels mean the most. It's for those of us that they've come. But is that really the only thing about the message of angels? I think we have to go just a little bit further. More importantly, Brown suggests that we forget all that we've ever learned and begin over again. But in Scripture somewhere around, let me, let me start over. Brown suggests that we forget everything and begin over. That's because most of us in our study of the Scripture stop somewhere around eighth grade to really unpack and learn God's Word. As a result, our biblical view is stuck with a childlike image of everything from the Scriptures to the stories that that are told in the Old Testament to the story of the gospel. Simply put, all too many of us have a simple, 
childlike biblical view when our worldview continues to age as we get older and older. And all along, we're continually growing and understanding, but it's seldom rooted in biblical truth. I would say and I would offer that we can't hope to conquer adult-like faults with an eighth-grade faith. We can't hope to draw closer to God and have salvation with a simple eighth-grade faith. And that's why we need to go a little bit further still. In an essay on excellence in teaching, Dr. Virginia Lee, a professor at North Carolina State University, writes this about the importance of unlearning in the learning process. In the absence of instruction, people construct plausible theories of a range of phenomena based on their observations over a long period of time. Often these theories represent models from different uh, d- models different than those from accepted scholars, theologians, scientists, and other professional bodies. It's that quote that I think unpacks how important it is for us to, again, to unlearn what we might recall or know about angels, because the, the absence of ongoing instruction, the absence of true teaching from the scriptures about any topic in the Bible, let alone angels, leaves us without a true understanding of what God's real plan is for our lives. Brown and Lee would both suggest that we forget or more deliberately unlearn what we think we know in order to dislodge our misconceptions about angels. So right about now, how many of you are asking, how do we forget about what we know? How do we unlearn something? Anybody asking that question? Okay. I have a third option. Why don't we just change our minds? If we can't forget or unlearn, let's just change our mind about what the Bible is telling us about angels. And even sometimes, changing our mind can be really, really hard, okay? I know that from experience in my life, whether it's relationships or in business, it's hard to change your mind. And sometimes people just refuse to do that because they try to save face. A former boss of mine used to often shout, when the facts change, I change my mind. What do you do? And as often as he used to say that, I never really remembered who he attributed that quote to. So I did what all 21st century scholars do. I Googled it. As a moderate student of history, I I was somewhat surprised to learn that there's a a debate going on over this apocryphal quote. By most accounts, this line was first uttered by John Menard Keyes, a 20th century Uh, influential economist or one of his contemporaries, a Nobel Peace winner named Paul Samuelson, may have been one of the first to say this. But how many of you who are real students of history are also thinking about a third person that's pretty famous that might have said this quote? Anybody? Okay, there's one. We'll see if this is it. Sir Winston Churchill is also known as having said this uh, derivation of this line to someone when he was facing an adversary who was berating him for having changed his political position, he said this, when the facts change, I change my mind. What do you do, madame? So if we have established some kind of new information about angels tonight, I'm gonna ask you to just consider over the course of the next few minutes that you might change your mind about the role of angels. Because scriptures are clear and the facts of angels I believe are these. 
Angels were a part of God's creation from the very beginning and took form when he made the heaven and the earth. Angels were sent to proclaim the good news of God's commitment for us and his intention to redeem us as people. God asked his angels to be his, his heaven's helpers and to express this message of love, to teach the message of the Bible's big ideas and to fulfill his continuing message of love and comfort for us in our lives. This is what angels are for. They tell us that the God is holy and he is worthy to be worshiped and that as awesome as God truly is, he has compassion on you and others. Let's go as far as we can and maybe take some new information about what angels do for us in our lives. First, angels express God's message of love. God is the source of life and through his creation of heaven and earth, his presence with us and the sacrifice of his son show us his love. And in every one of those stories and accounts throughout the Bible, angels have been a part of that. Sometimes to define love, we have to go to the source of it, and God is the source of love. And angels have carried that message through the big moments and small moments all throughout the Bible. McKnight calls this love an all-encompassing, rugged commitment to be with someone, for someone, as we journey in the transformation into Christ-likeness. Remember what I said about the 14th verse in that first chapter of Hebrews. Angels are here to be with those of us who are going to inherit salvation. And on that road towards Christ-likeness, those angels come in for a second reason. And that is the promise of God comes when he will create a redeemed people who will be the blessing to the entire world. Angels are frequent carriers of the message of God throughout scriptures. And angels are here to teach big, the Bible's big ideas. And they've been present at all sorts of counters in, in the Bible. After the fall, Adam and Eve were surrounded by angels. Angels were key communicators when they revealed God's biggest plan to Abraham and Sarah. Angels participated in communicating the promise as well as making God's will known to Israel and they clearly communicated God's image to Lot and the city of Sodom. Angels were, presence, were present when the prophets spoke throughout the Old Testament. More importantly, in the New Testament, in the delivery of the gospel, in the delivery of the story of Jesus and the story of salvation, angels were there at the moment of Jesus' birth. Angels have been around for all of the things throughout the New Testament, and we get our clearest picture of angels, description and vivid uh, depiction of angels in the, New in the New Testament closing chapters in the book of Revelation. The third point I'd like to make about angels is how they aid in the fulfillment of God's rugged commitment. And as I said, God's rugged commitment is this love that he has for us, to be near us, and to draw us closer to him. All too often in our lives, we view our relationship with Christ as that picture or an image of a boat as it approaches the dock. And we throw out that line towards the dock and we pull really hard. 
And we as humans try to pull the dock closer to us. But God doesn't work that way. The line that we throw to him and the hand that he extends to us draws us closer to him. And it's in that very image that God uses angels to bring comfort to us. Think of a time when you were in physical pain or emotional anguish. Now think of the first three human leaders in the Bible. Abraham, Moses, and Joshua. Through angels, God gave them comfort, whether it was through the battles that they were entering into or through their own spiritual battle. The big idea of God's comfort is simply that the angels are ministering spirits to come to us on earth so that we can be in communion with God. He draws us closer to him for redemption and helps us recover to keep, keep us battle ready as we face adversity and uncertainty throughout our lives. Lastly, angels serve as God's very presence. There are two contrasting images in scriptures about the role of angels. When people encounter them, and become in presence of angels. When Joshua learned that the man who had appeared before him was an angel of the Lord, he fell face down on the ground in reverence. But what the Bible tells us there is that the angel at that time did not say, do not do that. Do not worship me, for it's only the Lord that can be worshiped. In the last chapter of the book of Revelation, then, a similar situation for John, when he was in the presence of angels, he fell face down. But the angel didn't rebuke him. The angel didn't tell him not to worship. And so, one of those things that we can clearly say there is that angels can be the image of God and the very presence, or they can communicate the presence of God. So that those angels that we encounter are oftentimes being present with us. And in all accounts, of the Bible, God is present in the lives of those who are going to inherit salvation, sometimes manifesting themselves through his presence as God himself or through the presence of angels. Angels express God's message of love and comfort us and bring us to a saving experience with Jesus Christ. If you take anything else away with you tonight, that's the message that I want to leave you with is that angels draw us closer to a redemptive relationship with Jesus Christ and that they communicate God's love and his comfort for us. As Karl Barth wrote, we can miss them, we can dismiss them, we can diminish them, or we can deny them altogether. If we want to accept the gift of salvation, we have to accept the role of angels in our lives. If we do, we can become one with God. If we don't, we just skip over that and we no longer have an opportunity to take advantage of the great sacrifice. All angels are ministering spirits and they were sent to proclaim the good news of God, of his love and his intention to redeem us. And isn't that the biggest message of all? His intent to redeem each and every one of us. Angels tell the story that God is holy and is worthy to be praised, and that he truly is a God who has compassion on all of us. So in the end, I believe that we must, in the presence of this new instruction, 
and new information now ask ourselves a pretty simple question. What do we do with this new information? Do I change my mind about angels or I just go on thinking that they are in the outfield or in the end zone or I was touched by an angel? All those pop culture images that we, we know are out there about angels. How can we change our minds about angels and begin to see the full view of what the scripture tells us about angels? I think we just have to ask ourselves one simple test question. Did the message of the angels join me to the presence of God? Did the message comfort me? Did it teach me? And best of all, did the message of the angel draw me closer to redemption in Christ? If you can answer yes to any one of those questions, I think you can unequivocally say that loud and clear you have heard from an angel. Would you pray with me, please? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come into your house and to unpack one of those seldom talked about topics, the role and the mention and the message and the ministry of angels. Lord, I thank you for each and every one of the people here tonight. Would you open their hearts and their minds to the message of, of yours about angels, but most importantly, soften their hearts towards the redemptive message of Jesus Christ. Create a place where they can enter in and know your love for them, the life-changing love of your Son. By day and by night, by night and by day, Lord, you are worthy of it all. So it's with those words that I close tonight and thank you for your sending your son for our redemption. In thy name I pray, amen.